In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Inspired by the words we have heard in, in Holy Mass over the last few Sundays, as we always do on these Sundays after Pentecost, during autumn, I would like to speak to you about a subject which I have treated several times at great length in conferences, especially to the young adult group and to the Society of the Sacred Heart. It is somewhat of a feat then to try and compress it into the length of a sermon. It will no doubt leave you with some questions. However, that is the idea. Perhaps just to spark some questions which had been lying dormant in your mind for some time regarding a subject of such great importance for your spiritual life and for your salvation. I wish then to put to you a question this morning, which I hope you have put to yourselves before. And if you are young, still a child even, I hope it is a question you will put to yourself very soon. The question is this, do you have a vocation? It is an important question to ask because in our world today, even among those who are considered devout Catholics, the very idea of vocation is spoken of almost as a sort of medical condition, something that you better have checked out at some point early in adulthood. Make sure that you don't have it before you go on living your life. Some even seem to speak of vocation almost as a sort of dread mark, which, once discovered on your person, dooms you to a dreary life devoid of all pleasures. And those of us, convert or not, who have discerned a vocation young in life can remember even being told things, even being reassured at some point, don't worry, you probably don't have a vocation. I might start our subject by answering a question which I hear often enough, Is there such a thing as a vocation to devout single life in the world? This is a good starting point for our subject. This is a very good question, and it deserves a good answer. As to this question, whether there is a vocation to single adult life in the world, I can answer without hesitation in the affirmative. That is the vocation of each and every one of us who makes it to adulthood. And it remains our vocation until something might be added onto it, that is, a specific state of life. But perhaps that state of life will never be added on, and we will go to our death leading a single adult life in the world, nevertheless heeding the admonition of the Apostle, which we heard several Sundays ago, walk in a manner worthy of the vocation in which you are called. There is no question that the Apostle here speaks not of any particular state of life, but of our general call to holiness. As he says also to the Thessalonians, this is the will of God, your sanctification. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And St. Peter, wherefore, brethren, labor the more that by good works you may make sure your calling and election. Yes, all without exception are called to sainthood. And we are all called to engage in the spiritual combat, for we are assured that no one will be crowned who has not fought well. Are all are called to do battle 
against the world, the flesh, and the devil. All are called to cooperate with the grace they have received and allow the wounds of original sin to be healed in the soul, treating the concupiscence of the flesh, the concupiscence of the eyes, and the pride of life by applying the remedies of fasting and mortification, the spiritual and corporal works of mercy and prayer. Embracing this vocation is nothing other than choosing the master you will serve in this world, knowing that whichever master you serve now is the one with whom you will spend all eternity. Yet as we were told on the day of our baptism, the yoke we take up is not harsh but light and sweet. If you wish to enter into life, said the priest, keep the commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It is not hard to paint a portrait of the person following the general call to holiness. A baptized, confirmed Catholic who goes frequently to confession and Holy Communion, prays in the morning upon rising, turns to God in prayer throughout the day, and kneels before God before going to sleep making a good daily examination of conscience, who makes the first Fridays and first Saturdays, goes to holy hour as often as possible, and works toward the practice of a half hour of daily mental prayer, who prays the rosary daily, makes devout use of sacramentals such as holy water, the scapular, the miraculous medal, keeps a good fast during Lent and on other days of penance in obedience to his confessor, as Mass is offered regularly for his children, godchildren, for the faithful departed, learns to love humiliations before others as a check against his pride, dresses modestly at all times, lives a life free of impurity and scandal, supports good charitable organizations through time or money, volunteers at pregnancy centers and publicly supports the cause of life, frequently lends a helping hand to his neighbor and even to strangers, guards his tongue against all vulgarity and slander or detraction, smiles often, and exhibits a good sense of humor. Such is a person, although we cannot read the heart, who shows the signs, at least, of having answered the call to sainthood. Such is your glorious calling, all you who go by the name of Christian. The old law of bondage has been set aside, and we rejoice now in the liberty of the children of God. But within this new law of liberty, if we cooperate with grace, there are various paths one may go down while still being entirely faithful to our divine master. Some, indeed most, faithful disciples who reach adulthood mindful of God's work of creation and the institution he founded between men and women from the beginning, choose to participate in the work of creation and embrace the married state. Nowadays, we often hear this state referred to as the marriage vocation. To be sure, those who are preparing for marriage should pray every day to know God's will and carry it out in their lives. They should pray for each other and pray together. And God is by no means indifferent with regard to their future. Nevertheless, marriage is not, properly speaking, 
a vocation apart from the general call to holiness. It is a state which you may enter within that general call, and it is a natural state of life, made supernatural by the sacrament of matrimony. It is a way of life that you are free to embrace, provided there are no impediments. We do not say, and the Church never says, that you are required to do so. Nevertheless, it is a holy state, one that St. Francis de Sales calls the nursery of Christianity, by which the souls of the elect are built up unto the coming of the Lord. Is there a state of life, then, that can properly be called a vocation? There is one above all. Just as we speak of our vocation to holiness being called out of darkness, so we can speak of a calling out from the ordinary way of things, even among those leading the devout life, to participate in a different state of life. That is the holy priesthood. By all means, all are called to participate in the priesthood of Christ through baptism and confirmation and in the supreme act of religion, the holy sacrifice of the Mass, through their devout attendance and their reception of the Holy Eucharist. When it comes, though, to the sacrament of holy orders, this is certainly a vocation because it is not open to all. It is not open to women and it is open to very few men. As the Apostle says to the Hebrews, neither doth any man take this honor to himself, but he that is called by God, as Aaron was. Furthermore, this calling is not for one's own personal salvation, but for the salvation of others. It is for the governance of the mystical body of Christ, just as the choice of the Mary state is for the growth of the mystical body. By all means, if a young man feels drawn to the priesthood, if the thought of being a priest, saying Mass, hearing confessions, administering the sacraments, preaching sermons, all these things fill him with joy, he should move forward, praying every day that he may discern God's will for him in this regard, and knowing that if he is always open and honest with his superiors, his spiritual director, and his confessor, then, as he proceeds through the years of priestly formation, when the day comes of the ecclesiastical vocation, that is, when his ordinary calls him to orders and the bishop calls him forth to kneel and receive the sacrament, he may have a great moral certainty that his vocation does indeed come from God. But there is another state we have not spoken about yet. And we might jump very quickly to the conclusion that this state above all deserves to be called a vocation. And so it is very interesting to note, and perhaps it is something you have heard for the first time, that traditionally the Church does not apply this word vocation to the state of holy religion. That is, at least not in the same way as Holy Mother Church speaks of the priestly vocation. For when it comes to the priestly vocation, St. Thomas Aquinas tells us that a man becomes a priest because he is holy and becomes a priest for the salvation of others. With regard to the religious life, there is no test of holiness before entry 
although, of course, any particular religious community will have its reasonable requirements. No, St. Thomas says, one becomes a religious in order to become holy. And in fact, when we consider the religious state, the reason why we do not say vocation in the same way as we do for the priesthood is where, um, whereas a man is called from one out of thousands to become a priest, with regard to the religious life, it is an open invitation. To understand this, you need only recall that picture we painted of the devout person living in the world at the beginning of the sermon and think of such a devout man who was in the gospel, who after having told the Lord that he had observed the devout life since his youth, asked, is there anything left lacking to me? To which our Lord replied, well, if you will be perfect, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and come, follow me. Holy Mother Church has always distinguished this state of life from the commandments. The commandments are what we discussed at the beginning. The commandment upon all Christians to love God and neighbor and to practice a devout life, to employ the means, mortification, works of mercy, and prayer in order to obey that twofold commandment of love. When it comes to perfect poverty, chastity, and obedience, both apostle and our Lord himself tell us there is no commandment, only counsel, that is encouragement, invitation, and perhaps even challenge. To whom is this state of light open then? The immediate answer is everyone. Yes, our Lord makes a loving, generous, and open invitation to all of his disciples to embrace the evangelical councils. We are all called to follow them into one degree or another. Those who live in the world, married or not, should have a spirit of poverty and detachment from the things of this world, laying up treasure in heaven. They must be chaste. Those who live in the world as single ones must be perfectly chaste, whether they ever take vows or not. And those who are married must be absolutely devoted to their spouse, with eyes only for them, and with a perfect generosity toward their state. And as for obedience, yes, we all owe obedience to our lawful superiors, ecclesiastical, civil, and familial. But when we heed the Lord's call, come, follow me, yes, as his disciple, but even in this further invitation of perfect obedience, then we leave beside, we leave behind the cares of the world and follow the admonition of St. Benedict, who stresses this calling of obedience to such a degree that he seems to prize it at the beginning of his rule above all the other counsels. To thee, he says, are my words now addressed, whosoever thou mayest be, that renouncing thine own will to fight for the true King Christ, dost take up the strong and glorious weapons of obedience. Is it really true, then, that all, without exception, are invited to this state of life? Well, the answer is yes. We must understand this within the mystery of God's grace and his preservation at every moment of human freedom. 
And so that me- what that means is that those who do not enter religious life are by no means sinning, at least not necessarily. It may be that the vast majority of those who never embrace religion have been directed by God's grace into another path, even though per se that invitation is one open to all. The circumstances of every person's life make it such that far more are suited for another state, either remaining in the world or being married. Nevertheless, for someone who has not yet embraced any state of life and is discerning a vocation, it is of supreme importance to consider it in this context, that embracing the evangelical councils is an invitation to everyone, and that most certainly includes you. How to know, then, whether God's grace will move you to embrace such a state, whether it be the religious state or the holy priesthood, or indeed if God directs you to remain in the world? The best preparation is to remember those words of the apostle which we heard at the beginning. Walk in a manner worthy of the vocation to which you were called. The best preparation for any vocation beyond the general vocation to sainthood is to lead a holy, devout, and generous life in the world right here and now. Remembering those words which you heard from the priest or at least heard told to your godparents after your baptism, receive this white garment and keep it without stain throughout a blameless life. Observe the commandments of God. Then when the Lord comes to the heavenly wedding feast, you will be able to meet him with all the saints in the court of heaven and reign with him forever and ever. Amen.